Luke chapter 9. It's where we will be. Miss Jess is going to sing in just a couple of moments and appreciate her so very much. I'm looking forward to the blessing. Okay, I'll say it again. I was giving you a second. I appreciate her so very much. And she'll be, uh, she'll be ministering to us in song. Looking forward to that. Guests, it is an honor to have you with us. Thank you for being here. I do want to encourage you to come back tonight if you are at all able and so inclined. Um, it's been great for me personally this past week. Had Dan and Taylor uh, McQueen visiting from Stillwater, Oklahoma. So they were members there when Andrew and I were on staff. And then after we left, um, uh, the Lord brought them on staff uh, to fix all the stuff that we messed up during our time there. And so, sure do, we have a great relationship with them and just very thankful for them. God has used them there, and that is, I'm confident we'll continue to use them there and do great things. Uh, Brother Dan preached on Wednesday. Um, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to uh, get on our podcast or YouTube and go back and listen to that sermon on Wednesday night. It was very, very helpful it's good for our staff. We were away on some staff uh, planning, training time, and we were, we were tuned into the service from beginning to end. And so, except for the handshaking time, I didn't make everybody shake hands during that time, but it was, it was a blessing. That, ser- that sermon was a blessing. Uh, but tonight, Taylor's mom, Miss Anita, is with us. Ta- uh, Miss Anita lost her husband when Taylor was three years old. And uh, a lot of us have become, over the last year, last couple of years, we've become familiar through some of the tragedies that our church family has been through. And so I asked Miss Taylor, or excuse me, Miss Anita, uh, just to take about 10, 15 minutes and to just share how God helped her through that season. And so I want to encourage you to be back tonight. You're like, well, is she going to preach? No, that doesn't take the place of the preaching. Like, wow, that might be long. Yeah, it probably will. I mean, it's long when we don't have testimonies. But God still works, amen. And so I want to encourage you to be back for that tonight. It would be a help. And so I hope that you will tune in. And you may, you may not have been through exactly what their family went through, but you can still learn about the work of God going through difficulties and trials and, and the way that he helps. All right, Luke chapter 9, verse 27. On Sunday morning, we're working our way through the book of Luke. And... Uh, this, we are coming to one of the most significant events in Jesus' earthly ministry, the moment of his transfiguration. And so beginning in verse 27, he's finishing a conversation with his disciples, and he said, But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. So verse 28 And it came to pass about and eight days after these sayings, he, referring to Jesus, took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. We're going to spend two or three weeks trying to unpack this, but it's amazing what's happening right here that we're reading about. And these prophets of God who've gone on to be with God have come back in a glorified state and they are having a conversation with Jesus about the coming crucifixion. So all of that's going on and don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can fully comprehend just how awesome and sacred that moment is. But notice verse 32. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory. And the two men that stood with him, and it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. 
not knowing what he said. (laughs) While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud, and there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. When the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Again, I'm trying to be sensitive to the Lord about this. We'll be in this passage two, three weeks. Today the title is this, The Mount of Transfiguration. Wake up. You don't know how amazing what you have is. Wake up. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing. Miss Jess is going to minister to us in song, and then we'll get to the preaching. And have I turned to the precious word of life, needing strength for my weary soul? How often has the voice of God addressed the sin in me as he draws me close and makes me whole? In the darkest hours of life I faced, I've been healed by its words. My spirit springs to life anew when I hear from the Lord. The voice of God that speaks from the pages. The truth of God that stands throughout the ages. of comfort cheer and my heart's delight I'm so thankful that I have a Bible decisions I have made have been guided by this book speaking truth when I don't know what to do stands unchanging in a world where nothing stays the same. It's a constant light for whatever we go through. It was true back then and it's true today. You can build your life upon it. The foundation upon which I stand. I'm so thankful I can say The truth of God that stands throughout the ages. It's a lamp, it's a light, it's the very bread of life. My source of comfort, cheer, and my heart's delight. I'm so thankful that I have a Bible. It's a source of strength in times of temptation. that precious book again it will still be everything i need the voice of god that speaks from the pages the truth of god that stands throughout the ages it's a lamp it's a light it's the very bread of life my soul cheer and my heart's delight I'm so thankful that I have a Bible I'm so thankful that I have a Bible 
the, the Word of God is so good. Look, if we don't have the Word of God, there's no point in being here. You're not coming here to hear me wax eloquent. I've got nothing good to say outside of the truth of the Word of God. It's so, so good. And I want to encourage you, every time you open up this book, you need to have the attitude, God, is, God has something to say to me. Whether it's in Genesis, yes, Leviticus, whether it's in the hard places that you have to really work through and you don't yet understand, Revelation, the Gospels, Proverbs, the poetry of the Psalms, man, it's good. The Word of God is so good. I think, Miss Jess, I want that tonight. Is that okay? Do that? Sweet. That's a blessing. So thankful for that. Um, before we get to the message, my wife is hobbling around on crutches, and I just want to give some explanation about that. Um, uh, we, were at, we, were at, we were at staff uh, planning, and while all of us were asleep, a burglar broke in, and she, she subdued that criminal and uh, dis, disarmed him and then hogtied him. And then while she was doing that, there was a splashing sound in the river behind us, and someone had fallen into the river, and she ran out and rescued that person and pulled them to the banks. And right about the time that that person was getting warm by the fire she started, uh, someone else came along and was like, I'm so hungry, can you feed me? And so she grabbed an elk and choked it out right there and, and fed those poor people. And at, at, it was at that point, at somewhere in all of that, that her ankle got injured. And so I just want to thank God for my wife and... Uh, She's a blessing. If you've ever heard Dean Herring tell stories, that's how he tells stories. And so uh, uh, I appreciate your patience. She she really did mess it up uh, pretty good. She's okay, but just going to be hobbling around for a little bit. And so I sure do appreciate the prayers and the encouragement and uh, thankful for my lady toughing it out the way that she does so often. It's a blessing. There's a condition called parasomnia also known as sleepwalking, or talking in your sleep, just doing unusual things, not being aware of what's going on. And there are some crazy stories out there. I've read about people going into their garden and waking up with leaves in the bed. (laughs) Like, how did these leaves get in here? One person tried to climb out a window. (laughs) Sleep. Some of you, you're married to or you have children or you have parents and they talk in their sleep. And I won't betray the confidence of any children in my home with this, but there are some children that have a reputation of having conversations. And then my other children being a lot like me, they'll go on and have conversations and probably record them and the things that are going on. It's amazing. Here's what's amazing about that condition, about sleepwalking, talking in your sleep, whatever, parasomnia, whatever you want to call it. It's that you can be functioning, but not aware. You're functioning, but not aware. There are a whole lot of God's people today that are sleepwalking. You are functioning. You are going through motions. You are in places and going through processes and having interactions, but we are unaware of who it is that we actually have access to. And as a result, missing out on so much that he desires to do in our lives. The the theological implications of this event are more significant than I have the ability to fully understand or to express Here in this text, the curtain is pulled back on the Savior and the goings-on that we read about in heaven. The awareness of departed saints and uh, all of these glorified attributes, a glorified body, being known, being aware, having having communication and interaction. It's so astounding. It was a preview of the future when the Son of God will come in glory to consummate his kingdom on the earth. It's such a rich passage of scripture. We could preach one message over the entire 
portion of Scripture, and, and I, I don't doubt that there would be some who have the ability to cover all of this in one message thoroughly and do a thorough job, but I need, I need just for my own limitations and out of a desire to make sure that we don't miss anything, we're going to spend two or three and even perhaps more than that, but I think two or three weeks dealing with this passage because there's so much good here that we don't want to just simply rush through it. And, and by the way, please don't, pl- please have this right view of, of the preaching and the series. One of my kids jokingly was making fun of me. They're like, Dad, you're in Luke chapter 9 in message 900. What's the deal? I mean, how many messages are we going to have to go through with this? And I'm, I'm not claiming that, that I couldn't be more concise and that I don't need to improve. But just get this, we're, we're not preaching a series to get through with it. We're preaching through these books so that we can try to learn about our Savior and hear from God and grow through that. And so whether it's five messages or 500 messages, it's worth it. So do your best to stay tuned in to it. Here in our text, we're introduced to some structural philosophy, some leadership philosophy of Jesus that seems disconnected, but it's actually significant to the point. Jesus, by practice, not by declaration, but by practice, had an established network and structure of developing leadership. When you read in the scripture, you find that he had many disciples, even by the hundreds, people who desired to follow him. He separated from those 12 men that he called apostles. We understand that one was a heretic and that had actually not trusted in Jesus, and that was Judas. But these 11, Judas Iscariot, but these these 12 men, they were called apostles, and they were separated from many of the other disciples, and they had a unique access to Jesus. Then out of those 12, there were three that observers of Scripture referred to as the inner circle of Jesus, being Peter, James, and John. Now, we don't, we don't know all the reasons why, but there are multiple references in the Gospels where Jesus would pull the apostles apart from the rest of the crowd, the multitude, the disciples. And then there were these other occasions where he would pull these three, Peter and James and John, even out from those 12, and he would have some of these very deep and spiritually intimate times with them. I don't know all of the reasons why, I just know that he did. Now look, Jesus was generous with his time, and as generous with everyone as he could be. But you got to understand, on the earth, he was living within the confines of an of a finite and limited body. He himself was still God, but he was limited to the limitations of a human body, and he had a very specific purpose that had to be accomplished in a very specific timeline, and so Jesus didn't have time to waste or just kind of throw it to the wind. He was on a specific mission, and so with every interaction, he was, he was intentional about who he was with, and how he was spending the time that he was with them. And it was through that that he was developing a leadership structure. So here's the point to get. The point is this, that Peter, James, and John, for reasons that I don't fully understand, and the ones that I do I'm not going to get into this morning, they were given a very special access to come apart and be with Jesus as he is spending time in prayer. They are the three that get to be with him. I can't imagine it. But how special it must have been for Jesus to say to them, you three, I have to go pray. Come with me. Come with me. It's amazing how many times Jesus went to pray. Scholars argue over whether scripture records Jesus praying 25 or 38 times, and and honestly, I don't yet understand the discrepancy there. I personally counted, I believe, 38 references to Jesus praying. Here's the point. Don't get lost in numbers and how people argue about them. Jesus prayed often. Of that, there is no doubt. And those are just the recorded ones. It's not any stretch to conclude that he prayed daily even multiple times in a day. Jesus understood 
as God in flesh, that it was necessary with the presence of sin around him and the limitations of a human body, it was necessary to regularly and consistently be calling upon his father. He found it to be an essential necessity of life, one which he could not do without. He could do without food more than he could do without prayer. He could do with sleep more than he could do without interacting with the Father. He could do without drink. He could do without rest. He could do without a time for casual relaxation more than he could do without prayer. It was one of the great priorities of his earthly life. I must have time with my father. If I don't sleep enough, I must have time with my father. If I don't eat enough, I must have time with my father. If I haven't been able to have all the fun that I wanted to have in the day, I must have time with my father. Well, as he prays, something amazing happens. The Bible tells us that in verse 29, his fashion His countenance are altered. It's referred to as his transfiguration. Let me distinguish between two words that we'll use for the main point. The first is being transfigured. That means for something to be made visible. For what is there to be made visible. The second word is transformation. You have transfiguration, which is simply the revealing of something that already exists. Transformation is when some one thing becomes something that is different. Jesus here was not transformed. And it's really important that you get this. Even if it doesn't make you excited, and even if you can't connect all the theological dots, it's really important that you get this. He was not becoming something different here. Who he was was briefly being manifested here. No, it was veiled by a human body. It was limited because he, as all God, chose to become all man. There's never a point in human history, or before, or after, where Jesus ceased to be the great I am. He's always been, and he always will be. But in these moments, from his conception to his ascension, he was limited by a human body. And so here on this mountain, as he's praying, he enters into this this state of transfiguration, not where he is becoming something different, but he is simply pulling back the veil on who he truly is. Now, two things. Please get this. We are going somewhere. Number one, prayer was the door through which Jesus walked into this state of transfiguration. Look, I'm not not a theological genius, but I take the simple approach that the Bible says what God intended it to say, and it means what God intended it to mean. And our job is not to interpret it for ourselves, but to understand what God intended it to say. And you cannot separate the fact that this transfiguration occurred as Jesus was praying. Jesus is interacting in sweet communion with the Father. And during that time, during that process, prayer is the door through which this transfiguration begins to occur. And it's not that he's becoming something else. It's that through this prayer time with his father, who he really is in all its glory is briefly unveiled for those that are there to be able to see. He talks with Moses and Elijah. We'll get into that. The topic of discussion was the common crucifixion. It's sacred and mind-blowing, and yet, Please understand, prayer was the door through which Jesus entered this state. Jesus did not pray to become. He prayed just because he needed that interaction with the Father. How is it that we think 
that it was necessary for the Son of God to pray consistently, intentionally, purposefully, lengthy, passionate, urgent prayer, and yet we can cruise through life with so with barely more than God is great, God is good, let us thank him for this food, amen. And somehow we can live the life that we are intended to live. Here's the second point. The first point is that it was entered through the door of prayer. Here's the second point. These disciples needed transformation. Okay, okay, you need transformation. Now I'll say more about it in a minute, but you need, you, you don't need to keep being who you are. You need Jesus to make you what he is. And look, if you want to talk, oh man, the term just escaped me. Give me a second, I am really sorry about this. If you want to talk about predestination in Romans 8, Look, we don't need to be afraid of that word as Bible-believing Christians. You know what predestination has to do with? Not a place, but a person. And those who are saved are predestined to become like Jesus Christ. You don't need to be, contrary to popular um, uh, counseling psychology, you don't need to become a better you. You need to become like him. That's what needs to be manifested in your life. Not more of you, but more of Jesus through your life and through your personality. You need a transformation. Peter, James, and John, get it. They needed a transformation that they could not produce. And they are literally standing at the doorsteps of the kingdom of God. The song we sang about heaven came down. The interactions of heaven literally had come, come down to earth for that brief moment. And a glorified Moses and a glorified Elijah who had no ability to save anybody, who themselves received justification through faith in the coming Messiah. They are there in a glorified state, interacting with a Savior who is revealing just how amazing he is. And this is what should have been screaming in the hearts of those disciples. The transformation we need is available through him. But they didn't see it. At least not at first. Because they were asleep. So often... You sleep through what can transform you. So often we sit in services like this with our eyes wide open, but our hearts fast asleep. And we sleepwalk through what God would use to transform us. The power of the kingdom was right there, and they slept through it. I don't read a lot of quotes, but I'm going to read several specifically about prayer, but more than just prayer, the need of us to interact with God. I'll read them consecutively. One man said this, one of the greatest attacks of the enemy is to make you busy, to make you hurried, to make you noisy, to make you distracted, to fill the people of God and the church of God with so much noise and activity that there is no room for prayer. There is no room for being alone with God. There is no room for silence. There is no room for meditation. Another man said this, the devil is perfectly willing that the church should multiply its organization and its deftly contrived machinery for the conquest of the world for Christ. If it will only give up praying, Satan laughs softly as he looks at the church today and says under his breath, 
You can have your Sunday schools, your YMCAs, your grand choirs, and your fine organs, and your brilliant preachers, as long as you do not bring into them the power of Almighty God, sought and obtained by earnest, persistent, believing, mighty prayers. We are too busy to pray, and so we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little, many services, but few conversions, much machinery, but few results. The reason why many fail in battle is because they wait until the hour of the battle. The reason why others succeed is because they've gained their victory on their knees long before the battle came. Corey Ten Boom, who's known to have spent so much time in a Nazi concentration camp where Jesus taught her so much about who he is through those miserable atrocities and sufferings, asked these two questions. Asked this question, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? How is it? That we sleepwalk when that power is right there. No, no, stay with me. If all I do is busy myself with well-structured sermons, with the right illustrations, with finely tuned points that are executed with some level of oratory excellence... That is not sufficient to bring about change in the lives of people that is necessary. And it would be better to have the power of God and read the Bible for five minutes than to wax eloquent from a human perspective for an hour without Him. And some of you, the reason that you struggle in your marriages so much is because you think that having a marriage is we just need more time for each other. And we need to make sure each other is happy. And we need to make sure that we're each getting what we want out of marriage. But what you need in your marriage, more than you need another date night, and more than you need to rediscover the romance, you need the presence of God. And the reason parenting can feel so fruitless and so overwhelming is because we want to find different methods and we want to not do it like the failed attempts of our ancestors. And we want to buy into all the clever sayings, but we leave out the presence of God that is necessary in helping us to raise children to love him. And we can come up with gimmicks, and we can come up with styles, and we can come up with programs and structures, and I'm for all of them in the right place, but what West Valley needs is not better organization more than the presence of God. And yet we spiral in this vacuum of busyness and distraction while at our doorstep. The transfigured one waits to transform us. But we sleep. We sleep through it. I don't preach a message that I'm not convicted about. I am so convicted this morning. Why is my marriage so hard? Sometimes it's because you've done everything but seek God for it. Why can't I get victory over this habit? Sometimes it's because you've tried every solution but desperately seek God for it. Why don't I hear from God when I read the Bible? Because you do it with the TV on and your phone dinging and you try for two minutes and then you call it quits. How is it that we sleep through the power of the transfigured one? Four reasons. Number one, we're busy. Come on, stay with me. Stay with me, please. We are busy. Not all busyness is bad. But busyness without purpose, without kingdom purpose, is a vanity. And one of the great tools 
of a godless culture, one of the great tools of the enemy, the enemy of the people of God, is to occupy us with busyness that in and of itself is not bad, but busyness that does not contribute to an eternal purpose. One of the great dangers of the youth sports culture is that we spend so much time trying to teach our kids to be all-stars that we don't teach them the priority of pursuing the bright and morning star. No, my kids play sports. I think there are many valuable lessons to learn, but you cannot buy into that culture the same way that you buy into Jesus because they will compete with each other at some point. And at some point, there needs to be a line drawn in the way every parent raises their child that the priority is going to be for you to know Jesus more than you know anything else. Busy. You can be busy in a church. When we had staff planning, our calendar this year, we actually took out an event. Like, it's not like we do tons of events. We don't actually, we're not an event-based church. Being at church is an event. Like, we just need more programs. No, we don't. We need more God. You need to learn how to be excited about God without the manipulation of a program. You, you, shouldn't, have to be, you shouldn't have to be prepped to come in and sing amazing grace and how deep the Father's love for us and heaven came down to be excited about Jesus. No, we want to minister to people and we do try to have structure and programs that contribute, but we want to guard against being a busy church that is a godless church. No, I'm not even saying being wicked. You with me? I'm not even talking about being wicked. I'm, being, I'm talking about being so busy that we've forgotten that he's standing outside knocking on the door. No, the church, the church at Laodicea, I stand at the door and knock. That's not about salvation. That's about a church that was busy but had left the Savior on the outside of their busyness. And we do it in our homes. We do it in our relationships. We do it as single adults. We do it as young people. We know so much about so many video games and social network platforms and so little about the God who loves you and wants something for your life. Number two. We're distracted. Driving around. Man, it's political season. And I love it. Not. Look, I am all for a biblical view of politics and being involved the right way. No, I'm for it. And I believe the people of God need to be engaged the right way. But our hope is not a president. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. No, I thank God for the I thank God for the Constitution of the United States. But as you are watching, that can be thrown out the window with no regard for you or anybody else. You know what can't be thrown out the window no matter how hard they try? The eternal truth of a living God. No, I'm for being aware. I'm for being involved. I'm for standing up and speaking out and making the difference in the way that we should. But we can get so distracted and so angry about a political process that we forget the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who lives inside of us. We are distracted by pleasure that in and of itself is not bad. We are distracted by passions that in and of themselves are not bad. We are distracted by trying to be in control of everything. We are distracted by past hurts. Man, there are some of you that right now you are still living under the shadow of things that have happened to you in the past. And the transfigured one is right at your doorstep. But rather than being awake to him, you are in a daze because you won't move on from the hurt you hang on to bitterness and on to resentment and you won't allow the God of heaven the sweet rose of Sharon the one who was crucified and rose again to bring healing into your life some of you are doing that with failures you are sleeping inundated by the weariness of past failures and you won't wake up to the transfigured one you are distracted are you still with me? 
Sometimes we have to be truthful. We are just lazy. No, me. 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 I can work so hard to have fun. And I'm not opposed to that. No, I, I try to work hard and play hard. I try to work hard. Ride a bike. Hunt a deer. Go on a shopping trip. Do the things that you enjoy. Build up the portfolio. Advance in your career. Give your children the best that they can. But when it comes to seeking God, we become lazy. I'll get to it. No, no. I know that I'm not the only one here. No, my job can't wait, and this fun can't wait, and this TV show can't wait, but I'll get to my Bible tomorrow. No, I didn't pray today, but I'll pray tomorrow. But you did a lot of other things today. The truth is, seeking him just wasn't worth the effort. We become lazy. Last thing, we become sinful. The Bible does say that God is love. Arms open, whosoever will. But once you've accepted him, this is what he also says, be ye holy, for I am holy. The psalmist said this, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I am not talking about, I am not talking about being perfect, because none of us are. But there is a difference in being perfect and then being intentionally, willfully sinful. Harboring these habits that I know have no place in the life of a child of God. Harboring these attitudes. Having this critical spirit. Having these lustful thoughts that go unchecked. Completely disregarding the priorities of scripture. So I can set the, my own tone and direction of my life. We are sinful and that sin causes us to sleepwalk. While the one who can do so much for us is right there. But he won't force you to turn from your sin. He'll just let you reap the consequences of sowing it over and over and over and over again. Like the disciples did, the kingdom power to transform was right there in front of them and they slept through it. You know what I'm thankful for? They didn't stay asleep. They woke up. In verse number 32, but Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, I don't know how they woke up. I like to think it was a preacher saying, wake up! <laughs> I don't know what woke them up. But they woke up, and to their credit, not flawlessly, but they chose to be awake and to try to observe what it was that was going on around them. Look, wake up this morning. Every opportunity that you assemble is an opportunity to wake up. Every day that God gives you new life, the opportunity to live and breathe, it's an opportunity to wake up to Jesus. Every day that you wake up with a new day is an opportunity to know him better. Even this morning as you sit there and wrestle with truth that is confronting your life, it's an opportunity to humble yourself and to wake up to who God is and that he is trying to do something in your life that is far beyond what you can comprehend. Wake up. Admit that your priorities of busyness are out of order. Admit that you are distracted by a multitude of things that make no eternal difference. Admit that you are diligent in much, but lazy in spiritual matters. Admit that you've allowed sin to harden you and to weary you to your need of intimate communion with God. Let me say this, church services are worth staying awake in. Sometimes there are health issues, sleep issues, work and weariness issues, but sometimes it's just a matter of priority. I had a pastor say this to me. 
If every time you try to read the Bible or pray and you fall asleep, that's a you problem. I'm going to stay awake for hours and watch a game. Well, that's stimulation, right. And your heart needs reprioritized and recalibrated to have a passion for the work of God and the things of God. And if you can't stay awake and read your Bible while you're sitting down, then stand up at the counter and throw some water on your face and go take a walk while you pray, but do something to wake up to him. You know what the danger is that we defend being asleep? You're going to defend it. Um, last year in New, out of New York, two airline pilots reportedly fell asleep on a flight from New York City to Rome. While their plane was still in the air with as many as 250 passengers on board. Both pilots departed from JFK International and were allegedly sleeping in the cockpit of, as their plane flew 38,000 feet over France. On those long international flights, they have designated sleeping breaks. The co-pilot was taking his break while the captain fell asleep too. Air traffic controllers told investigators they lost contact with the plane for about 10 minutes. Amid fears of a terrorist incident, they prepared fighter jets to intercept the plane. But the pilots eventually responded. One aviation analyst said, and I quote, this is extremely dangerous. <laughs> I am now an aviation expert. <laughs> Y'all didn't know how gifted I was and how blessed you are. It's extremely dangerous to be 38,000 feet above the ground and to be sleeping. The plane, the plane, sorry, the plane can still fly on autopilot, but it's not smart or safe. The captain claimed that the radio stopped working. Oh, laugh, laugh, but you need to get this. He tried to deny rather than humbling himself. Pastor, you're getting all worked up about nothing. I'm fine. Oh, pastor, yeah, you can, you can say all this, but we're good. And what you don't understand is that your lack of humility and your lack of awareness of the transformation that you need and the incorrect priorities in your life, they don't just jeopardize you. It jeopardizes the lives and the spiritual well-being of those that are around you. And there are far too many parents that have been sleepwalking through church attendance without really knowing God. And they just wanted to check boxes. And their kids went the way of the world because they weren't awake. No, look, I'm not blaming parents for every bad thing that kids do. But kids sometimes go, go the wrong direction because parents were asleep at the wheel spiritually and a preacher stood up and confronted it the word of God says what it says our sister sings a song about how amazing it is to have a bible and we say amen and then so few of us will actually make an effort tomorrow morning or tomorrow night to spend any meaningful time in it and that will bear fruit in generations wake up stop sleeping through what can transform you Wake up. Stop sleeping through what can transform you. The transfigured one can transform anyone. But we got to wake up. Where are you asleep? You know what a couple of good indications are that you're asleep? Number one, these things, the things of seeking God, you just have to admit they're not in my schedule like they need to be. No, I mean I want to do them, but I don't do them. Don't make this hard. Another indication that you're sleepwalking in some areas is that you're defensive right now instead of honestly letting God convict you. If your thought is this guy doesn't know what he's talking about, instead of God, where am I possibly a little drowsy spiritually, that's an indication that things are not where they need to be in your life. And you just take those two things 
And that's enough for a whole lot of people to be at this altar by the time we stand. Wake up. He's here. The kingdom of God, the prince of heaven, the God of creation stands at our door. And we sleep through it. Father, I am guilty, so guilty. I have not preached this out of arrogance. I've missed things from you. I've missed help from you. I've missed hope. I've missed healing. I've missed usefulness because I'm so busy. Could hold onto my phone for hours. Not even spend minutes on my knees with you. I could hold on to anger. I could hold on to frustration. I could mull over things that irritate me and spend so little time with you. God, the transfigured one, the God of heaven came to this earth and while he was revealed to be who he was, they slept and we are guilty of sleeping too. Oh God, help us to wake up. Help us to stay awake. Help us to wake up to what we need from you in our marriages, in our parenting, in our singleness, in our habits, in our purpose, in our priorities, in our failures, in our fears, in the things that we've been hurt by. God, help us to wake up to you. Help us to admit it. God, help us to respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Nate, please start singing. Let's stand. If God has spoken to your heart, talk to him. Don't wait. Talk to him while we sing.